Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. They have taught of every conceivable way of disguising cocaine. There are multi-million profits to be made on tons and half tons. Nothing matters. COVID is irrelevant. Brexit is irrelevant. If the EU dissolved in the morning, it's irrelevant. What matters is, how can we get that vessel or that container to that port on such a date without getting intercepted? That's all that counts. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A half tonne of cocaine disguised as charcoal, which landed in Rotterdam, was seized at the port after an intelligence-led operation headed up by Irish Gardaí. The drugs worth more than €30 million were destined for the Irish market, where a generation of cocaine users are directly funding violent drug cartels who are getting filthy rich and ever more powerful. So how does this seizure affect the millionaire cocaine bosses? And how can we ebb the tide of white powder flooding Europe? Today, I'm talking to Michael O'Sullivan, the former Garda who is the chief executive of the Maritime Analysis and Operations Centre in Lisbon. He coordinates the efforts of seven countries, Spain, France, Ireland, Italy, the Netherlands, Portugal and the UK, in tackling maritime drug smuggling in Europe. He tells me how seizures of the mother load can damage even the biggest cartels financially. How Colombian smugglers have experts employed to establish new methods of hiding their drugs. And how ports like Rotterdam are targeted as entry points to Europe because of the sheer scale of goods passing through them every minute. This is Crime World Extra, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Just introduce yourself first, actually, Michael, and then explain to me what MAOC is. The Maritime Analysis Operations Centre Narcotics is um, otherwise known as MAOC. 
is an agency, uh, deconfliction agency set up in Lisbon, funded by the EU, consisting of seven European countries and the American DEA, and it's tasked with, I suppose, the coordination of the interception of drug shipments to Europe from both um, South America and from North Africa. And basically what it does is it's a one-stop shop from the point of view that operations are coordinated there, that each country has a representative. And intelligence is pooled and um, operations, as I say, are coordinated and assets are coordinated in an effort to intercept vessels. That's basically what we do. Putting it in perspective, um, last year, uh, the American countries intercepted a, a total amount of 2.1 billion euros in drugs in a total of 19 or 20 vessels were intercepted. Um, this year, we've exceeded that to probably about 2.2 billion and rising as we speak. So it might seem an obvious thing for you, but maybe not so much for others, but peculiar question, but is it possible to police the sea? Well, you don't have a choice, you know. Um, is, it, is it? But then, you know, I suppose, that, yes, it is very much possible to, to police the sea and it depends on the assets you have and it depends on the coordination that you have. It's not an easy task. There's a lot of sea out there, particularly in the Atlantic, but um, it, it is possible to police it. But um, it's as possible to police the sea as it is to police Dublin City or Paris or Rome or any other place. It has to be policed. And um, the more assets and the more resources you have, the better able you are. But presumably those operations that are successful and that you can cite as being part of that massive hole that Maok have made are all intelligence-led because you are dealing with such a vast area that, you know, it's not a question of sending out patrols and hoping to catch something. No, it's not about sending out patrols, although there are patrols out there. We, we depend on the navies of Europe. We, we depend on... We, depend in particular on the Irish Navy. I think they cover some 12% of European waters, a massive uh, area. And we depend on them and we depend on the Irish Air Corps hugely. They're the eyes and ears, certainly in the Western Atlantic, of law enforcement. Um, and we depend on a variety of other assets belonging to different countries who are on patrol. Um, so it's, it, 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 helps, um, it helps more patrols there are certainly greatly assists um, our task and law enforcement's task in general, you know. So it's kind of like the sky. We know what should be there uh, on the sea and where these where these ships should be going and, um, you know, where cargo is, is bound for and all the rest of it. But presumably the likes of the Navy might be seeing something that shouldn't be there or that is just a, a little bit out of place, yeah. Yeah, and, and they would communicate that and they would investigate it and communicate it as would any other Navy, if there's suspicious activity, whether they're in the Mediterranean or whether they're in the Western Atlantic. And if they see a vessel that shouldn't be there, they would either check it out or mm. um, link with us, or back, link with their back office and link with people to figure out about the various vessels. And a lot of intelligence they have, they have forwarded have resulted in, in seizures. 
But by and large, the cocaine that's been moved from Southern and Central America is coming in normal cargo ships, isn't it? Comes in a certain, and it, it depends. It depends on what criminal group is operating. Some people tend, the more organized ones tend to look at the container traffic and try to send it in containerized traffic on container ships, let's say to Europe. Others tend to load up other vessels, um, which may be going to Europe or at least going past Europe. And the, they may offload in the middle of the sea with a go fast coming in to offload the, the vessel and bring that into Europe. So it just depends on the gang and it depends on who's doing the logistics and what the plan is. Um, the smaller grouping could um, try bring it in in a yacht, which quite a number of criminal groups do. Again, that has its own challenges. So it just depends on who you're connected with. It depends on who you're ordering from and depends on the logistics man on what he thinks is the best way of getting it to Europe. I suppose the laws of organised crime is you get it in whichever way you can. They don't have any rules at all. No, they don't have any rules, but they're very good structures. And insofar as planning um, how to evade law enforcement and they see what works and what doesn't work. And if we're, they're very innovative and they've, um, they don't have any budget problems and they're forever trying new means New ways, yeah. So in the last couple of weeks, we saw a huge shipment um, enter the port of Rotterdam, bound some of it for Ireland. And I think it's either arrived here or still on the way. Um, 31 million it was valued at. What does that look like, Michael, physically? 31 million is a half, it's a half ton. Mm. You know, it's just a half ton. It's, it's a very significant seizure, but it's inside in a container. It's, it's, easily, it's easily concealed inside in in depending on the vessel a yacht for example the maximum a yacht the average yacht could bring is probably a little over a ton so it's, it's quite a bulky weighty load to move and a very valuable load if you can get it across but once you get a ton if, if you look over the last couple of years let's say in ireland with all the seizures and all the arrests you know you would be hard pressed to seize a ton on the streets of Dublin or in the streets of on the streets of Ireland in five, six, seven years, if you if you counted all the seizures together. So a ton is just a half ton is a mother load coming in. And once that hits the ground and gets cut up, um you could be 20 years running around trying to get half of it back. Yeah, exactly. So you're getting it, you're getting it your operations as such when it enters the port. <clears throat> you're getting the full amount before it gets broken up at all. Yeah, it's called it's called sorry, it's called upstream disruption. It's um, it's trying to, particularly from the, the maritime perspective, trying to intercept the vessels. If you can get the, the load, is at its most vulnerable when it's on at the sea, when it's in the jungles of South America or the deserts of North Africa. It's extremely difficult to get when it hits the ground in Europe. It's extremely difficult. If you can get it upstream while it's between the two land masses, um, it is at its most vulnerable, as I say. And it's, it's, again, that's challenging. But if you can get it there, you get that load. And it's, it's a huge, huge victory, I suppose, for law enforcement. You know? So when there's an operation played out on the ground, say, for example, in Dublin, um, and they're going for the smaller amounts, as you say, it could take, you know, it could take a decade mm. to, to seize a tonne. The focus is really to try and 
catch individuals and put them before the courts and come to a successful conviction with them. And the more, the merrier, obviously. But And obviously, the more significant an individual they are, the better. It seems to me that uh, when 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 the, when the load has been transported, probably the logistic guys that are actually physically moving with it on the sea are some of the least important when it comes to a drug gang. But what what your power is when you're getting that mother load is you're actually hitting the cartels or the buyers in the pocket in a big way. Yeah, well, the bigger the load, the bigger the uh, damage to the organised crime group. And so whether, and then when you, when it's intercepted on the ground, you could have high value targets also being arrested. So it's very difficult to judge. But either way, any arrest is a disruption to a criminal group. The more high value the target, um, the greater the blow. And the more, the more the amount of drugs or cash seized, again, it reinforces that blow and can lead to the destabilization and uh, of, of an organized crime group. They can't take too many losses. So it would never be a good idea to try and you'd always let that, say if you're tracking a shipment uh, as at sea, you'll always let it come to port and come in because you might have a chance of getting a, a sort of a higher uh, ranking gang member that might come to a more hands-on place when it, when it goes through customs and is in port. Not, not really. When, if you are aware of where drugs are, whether they're on the high seas or they're on land, um, it, you, it, you would. It's too risky to say, "Oh, we'll we let this run for a week and we see what happens," because um, twenty-four hours is is a long time in an operation. Twelve hours, two hours, because if you have a shipment at sea, you don't know when they're going to suddenly give it to another vessel. And you don't know where it's going to go. And if it's going to land, if it's going to land on a landmass, you don't know where. And it is impossible to gauge. And it is a very fast moving business. So it would be a luxury to sit back and say, oh, we'll let this run for several days and we catch this guy or another guy. Investigations. But what happens is when seizures are made, investigations are carried out. And through those investigations, um, frequently um, the investigations manage to go up through the pyramid and identify significant cartel members and get them arrested. So it, it's arrests at a high level can be made. High-value targets can be got, although they're not hands-on, although they're sitting in an apartment in London or in Dublin it doesn't mean just because they're not sitting on the boat or sitting in the truck that somebody's got not going to come calling to arrest them. That 30 plus million seizure um, of cocaine, some of which are the majority of which maybe was, was bound for the streets here in Ireland. What sort of money would that have cost at its, you know, when it started its journey? It's a very, it's very difficult to say. It depends on who they bought it from and where they bought it, and uh, who was paying for the transport. And uh, you could certainly put several knots onto it. You know, I, I'm thinking off the top of my head. You could possibly, you know, you could possibly get a kilo for maybe four or five thousand um, dollars in 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 Colombia, and you could throw several knots onto that onto that kilo. There are 
multi-million profits to be made on tons and half tons. So um, it doesn't cost very much in South America. And the markets, when you compare the markets, like it's very cheap in South America. And then when you look at the market in Europe, um, the EMCDDA, um, who they're the European-based monitoring agency, they estimated the in 2018, the cocaine market to be about 9 billion. I would say it's closer to 14 billion now. That's just cocaine. So when you consider the markup and the demand, and the only thing between getting to the marketplace with the cocaine is the Atlantic or the Mediterranean, it's a huge incentive. And there's a lot of profits in it. Now, there's a lot of losses. If you if you get a shipment taken out, um, it, 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 it can... It can as I say, ruin an organization depending on their on their level of funding because they don't uh, they've paid for it and um, there is no insurance policy and they are left with one arm as long as another and depending on their makeup of the criminal group who have put the money together, there's normally a fallout and recriminations etc. So it really, just just it, each each load depends on the makeup of it and whether people can financially withstand that loss. Just depends. And the those two big shipments that came into Europe hidden in charcoal or the, the cocaine was disguised as charcoal or it was surrounded by it. There was a second one made it into Galicia, was it in Spain, um, and was seized there, another ton or half ton. Um, what's the situation with that charcoal? Is it to towards the x-ray machines or it's just it's just another form of disguising cocaine they have set up factories in south america sending over pineapples and fruit and putting them in tins they have um, put coloring into cocaine they have impregnated it into into clothing they have thought of every conceivable way of disguising cocaine and um, charcoal cocaine concealed in charcoal is nothing new. Uh, there was a big seizure of it got down in, in, in Peru, and it was it was um, the investigations indicated that the Sinola cartel in Mexico were behind it, and it was destined for Europe. Again, all coated in charcoal. Um, why? Because if it's in a container and marked charcoal, and if you don't arise arouse any suspicion, and somebody gives a cursory search, you know when you consider containers. Um, in Rotterdam last year, a container, uh, nine containers arrive into Rotterdam every minute. It's a city of containers. So if you're a law enforcement official and you open a container with coal dust and charcoal and everything looks black and dark, you know, you're, you're less reluctant to go hammering around that charcoal unless you've got very good intelligence. So they know that, and that's why they, they plan these things. They, they make it seem part of an everyday consignment, and they put a lot of thought, effort, and energy into the concealment method. You mentioned Rotterdam. It's one of the biggest entry points into Europe. But where else are we, are we you know, are we sort of, it's the big ports, I presume, like Antwerp, is it? Yeah, Rotterdam. Um, Rotterdam was taking the biggest seizures and they were quite successful over the last couple of years. They had their own challenges. I think at that one stage, it was 50 tons seized out of Rotterdam one year, maybe 60 the following year. It has moved up slightly more to Antwerp, where they seem to operate um, 
that they seem to have exploited the, the Antwerp operation and there's greater seizures and greater movement towards Antwerp now for a whole range of reasons. I suppose the big challenge is the Colombian cartels have based themselves in both Rotterdam and Amsterdam, and they have through a mixture of bribing people and terrorizing them, um, terrorizing the people who operate the computers, who bring in the containers, who press buttons to say the container has come in from South America or disguise it and say it has come in from France. Therefore, put it in an area that is not going to be searched because it's not suspicious. These people have been threatened and bribed and some of these key workers have been arrested. And um, so it, it, the cartels have to cover off both ends. One, the end of where you load up the coke, the shipment end, and then when it, if it's coming into a port, to have sufficient, they can't leave it to chance. They can't just say, okay, let's hope nobody stops that. Um, and so they put a lot of effort and energy. In fact, in, in, in certainly in the last two years, one or two people operating in the ports, um, IT people, you could call them sort of crane operators, but it's sort of an IT type crane, had grenades thrown through their windows in an effort to um, motivate them to assist the cartel. So that's what you, when you're dealing with that sort of stuff, it's it's they don't they don't leave anything to chance on either side of the Atlantic, and they're very well organised. No, I noticed from that Sky ECG hacked hack, which was the latest one in Europe, anyway, that there were quite a number of their first level of arrests actually were on custom officials, port operators, and um, police, and various other white collar workers who had been drawn into criminality for one reason or another. Um, and they seem to have moved very quickly in order to, I suppose, try and, uh, you know, hammer home that, that it's not acceptable either to, to you know, to take this money. But um, money money corrupts everything. Um, what about technology as regards the ports and finding this sort of stuff coming in? I know we've seen a lot of movement with um you know, breakthroughs in, in, in the phone systems that I've just mentioned. But is there any sort of new technology that is coming on stream that is being used with any success? Um, in, in, in short, not really. They have beefed up the law enforcement in the various ports of Antwerp and Rotterdam. They use scanning equipment. They use investigative methods. You have the old style rip-on, rip-off uh, system whereby they will the South Americans will infiltrate a container of bananas, let's say, all above board. They'll break the seal, put a couple of kilos in, lock the seal up again and come back to the port when it lands and break into it before it's searched, you know. So no amount of technology is going to stop that sort of work. It's it's investigative police work is, is probably the the best way to do it, but technology will can track and trace um, various containers, but the human element of the process is the one that is most vulnerable. If they don't, if you get some of those operators on side, um, no amount of technology is going to, these are the people who operate the technology, so they're not going to identify stuff very quickly. And at the heart of all this, Michael, is obviously this growing demand for cocaine. In Europe, these cartels aren't risking uh, bringing it in and risking this these massive investments in this product unless they know it's guaranteed to sell. And my God, is it selling? 
Like, what is wrong with us here in Europe that we are demanding so much of this cocaine? Ireland, you know, the Netherlands, France, Spain, we're not alone, but we just seem to have an insatiable appetite for this drug. Yeah, everyone has. And we're not talking about guys in back streets who are on the breadline. We're talking about professionals. We're talking about, as you say, ordinary, decent people who decide they want cocaine. They have the disposable income. The only time I saw uh, drug sales fall was during the recession here in Ireland, where the drug traffickers hadn't got the cash to order stuff in. And the punters hadn't got the cash to buy it either. It's gone beyond saying just say no to drugs. These people wouldn't use heroin and probably wouldn't smoke hash, but they will use cocaine. And people are supporting cartels and the debt and destruction that goes with it when they snort coke. And when you look at how crime has evolved, as the profits and the increase of cocaine evolves, you have criminals who a couple of years ago were breaking into houses and stealing cars. They're now selling um, kilos of coke to ordinary people, hunters, ordinary people. Everybody's involved in business. Um, gone are the days when people are trying to rob banks and hold up security vans. It's too risky and the profits aren't there. It's far easier to get a kilo of coke and sell it through your mobile phone to punters who want to buy it and increase your wealth and increase your power. So you have small criminal gangs, whereas four or five years ago they were, weren't even on the radar. They're now running around trying to shoot each other. They're running around with too much money that they can't handle the power or the money. Hence, we have the feuds we have and we have the shootings we have and we have the violence that goes with it. And you've young people, young criminals who are just hooked out of their head and are power mad. It kind of seems to me that like it just seems to be expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding. And, you know, in economics, they talk about that balloon effect and eventually it'll burst. But what's going to happen here? Like, I mean, it's going to keep growing while Europe has the money to buy the drugs because the South Americans aren't going to stop growing it and they're not going to stop selling it. And it is it, it will reach a plateau where there will be a lot of it and the price of Coke will fall and the purity will stay, will probably rise. The purity has gone up to about 80% now. Why? Because if you start selling below 80%, so much stuff, nobody will buy it from you. Um, so, you know, if you go, you go start selling Coke that's at 50%, you'll only, you'll only sell it once and you'll have a bad reputation. So people move on to the ones with 80%. So what I'm saying is it's going to keep going until um, there's a decline in the sales of Coke. And I just don't see that happening. People, are, more and more young people have more and more disposable income and they're spending lots of it and they don't see any reason why they shouldn't and they don't have a problem with it. It's an amazing commodity that it has held its, you know, its image as being cool since it started out in Miami back in the, the 60s or 70s. It's managed to keep that image of being cool. And yet we've seen other products that once had that image like cigarettes and, and 
yeah, well, cigarettes, for example, that, you know, were seen as cool. And they're not really cool anymore, even though people do still smoke. The image of them is there's a bit of a shame attached to smoking cigarettes. Within the drug business, there's an there's a shame attached with taking heroin or using heroin. But, you know, is there a marketing way that we can change the attitude a little bit? I suppose back in the 80s, the, the way to do it was uh, it was health education. But when you're dealing with young, intelligent people, and some not so young, but they're still intelligent, and you just can't say, well, drugs are bad for you, drugs will kill you, and they will, and they'll certainly, you will, can become addicted to it. Um, there's probably more, we can do more on the education side of things, saying, look, if you take cocaine, here's the effect that it has on your brain, here's the effect it has on, on your addictive, if you have an addictive personality, or the fact that you could become addicted, etc., etc. There's there an element of that. You don't see too much of it. You, you see a lot of cool stuff about Coke. You, you don't see the other side. Of it. You don't see the other dark side. of it. People don't relate people getting shot in Dublin um, with, they're being shot by the people who are supplying Coke. Uh, but they, they, don't, they don't even see that, you know, and they don't see the exploitation and they don't see the danger and they don't see contribution they're making to criminal empires. But there's certainly an education piece that could be done showing the health aspects of it, to say nothing of the criminal aspects of it. But it's a it's a challenging, uh, it's going to be a very challenging process because, like I say, you're dealing with people who are quite well informed, you know? Yeah, but the same young generation have embraced, you know, the damage we're doing to the climate in a way that an older generation hasn't. And they have embraced, um, you know, other elements like that be- through education. So surely the message of, you know, wh- whatever we're doing wrong, people like me, in trying to give that message that this, you know, purchasing that line of Coke in a nightclub equals you putting money into the pocket of such and such a cartel. And this is what yeah, they're doing. To say nothing streets. about what it's doing to your body. Mm. Yeah, I guess maybe maybe a health piece will do it. Uh, well, maybe a health piece will help. But whether they're going to, I would think, you know, you know, sure, they think about uh, um, uh, the, the greenhouse effect and, and everything else that's, that's going wrong with that. And, and they're conscious of that. But I'm, I'm not, I don't think there's enough negative news about cocaine. So I do think there's a piece that could, the media could do it, the health boards could do it. There's certainly an education piece needed to be done, I think. And finally, Michael, um, has Brexit made Ireland less attractive landing point for large consignments of drugs or has it made, has it had any impact whatsoever? Uh, None whatsoever. Um, I'd say the Colombians don't even know about Brexit. All they know is that they want to get coke to Europe and they don't care whether a country is within the European Union or not in the European Union. They are sitting there figuring out the best way to get their product to market and it, it doesn't, it, it is irrelevant. Um, you know, it, it, lots of things, nothing matters. COVID is irrelevant. Brexit is irrelevant. If the EU dissolved in the morning, it's irrelevant. What matters is how can we get that vessel or that container to that port on such a date without getting intercepted. That's all that counts. Michael O'Sullivan, thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye.
been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.